for fans, by fans. Section 336, the next generation of Baltimore sports talk. All right, so this is a little bonus. Section 336, we mentioned on Monday night how we've been listening to different podcasts and we met, talked about the Sports Explains the World podcast. So now we have an actual professional podcaster to join us. <laughs> Damn, we've known each other forever. Welcome to uh, Section 336. Josh, it's great to be here, man. I feel like, you know, I, I will say for me, you guys are a huge part of my podcasting like family is that is that too weird to say we on the baltimore sports report network you right. we used to call each other sister wife podcasts um so it's uh it's really great to to be on the air with you man no it's 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 always fun and back then the orioles were starting to get fun and now they're getting fun again <laughs> and um yeah but now it's like now i look up you've got your own profile in uh in an Apple podcast app, you can click on Sam Dingman. And it shows you 10 different shows you're working on. <laughs> so, I mean, you're just this professional podcaster now. Yeah. Well, you know, I, like it, it's been a really interesting journey because, you know, I feel like when I don't, you know, I, I'm sure this is true for, for you and Matt and the zany Burt roadie, um, when he was part of the show, like, um, it definitely for Alan and me, when we started doing this, it, it came from a place of like, we just have these things that we're really passionate about that we want to express. And I feel like the shows, just like your guys' show, like we're fueled by that super organic connection. Um, and I had an opportunity a number of years ago at this point to go to work at a podcast network. And I feel like, you know, and through that, I have been able to continue working in podcasting as a job, um, which I'm very grateful for. But a, a thing that's been interesting about that journey is I often feel like networks are trying to manufacture that organic connection that is something that I feel like, if I may, we've all understood since the first time we switched on the mics and started talking about the Orioles. Like, you can't fake that. And I feel like a lot of corporate podcasting, let's call it, is... Uh, trying and failing to no, fake it. You you are absolutely correct, and that's in my notes. So we'll get we'll get to the fact that <laughs> you clearly this is stuff you're passionate about. I mean, yeah, three thirty six. This is our eleventh season. It's ten years of of doing this show. Uh, we were with you guys. We're going back then. It's exciting to see Baltimoreans back. So everyone should be resubscribing if you deleted that off your podcast app because of years of it being quiet. Yes. It's actually make sure you're checking that out. It would be understandable if you if you unsubscribed. We we you know we often feel. Uh, I mean, talk about faking it. Like we often feel like we are being inauthentic because our our tagline is the home of the all weather fan. And during some of the lean years, we definitely ceased releasing episodes. <laughs> so. hey. Hey, right, right. We we stuck with episodes, but it got tough to talk Orioles. <laughs> more of we've always been a podcast where life pours into our podcast and yeah. the brother relationship helps and makes it easier. And mm -hmm. uh, we've purposely keep stuff from the other person waiting to share it on the podcast and stuff. And we've <laughs> done that our whole life because we grew, grew up listening to uh, hot talk radio that progressed into podcasts and where it became, you want to feel like you're part of that family. Yeah. And, and honestly, dude, like I know you guys know this, like, I feel like that is 
that is good podcasting. Like that is good radio. That is that quality of surprise, that sense that at any moment something might be said that, you know, if it's two people on the line, one of them wasn't expecting, and then you have to hear them react in real time. And that whole thing is anchored by the fact that the subject matter is a shared love of something like the Orioles. Like that is the alchemy of it. Like it's actually not any more complicated than that. And I, I feel like so many people don't understand. But, <laughs> you're right. Corporations as pod, we've, we've all watched podcasting grow. And as it grew, grew mm-hmm. every, every corporation that thought, Oh, I needed my own podcast. Mm-hmm. All state insurance needs a podcast. Uh, <laughs> Apparently. City needs a podcast. All these people have decided they need their own podcast. And there's, it comes across as a big PR push and not something really genuine and something that you care about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You you have found a way to become a professional podcaster, and through all these stories, it's stuff that you it's your life and things you care about, and it's things we saw glimpses of in Baltimoreans that now you get to really focus on one subject. Thank you for saying that, Josh. That 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 really means a lot, man. Like I I do feel like you know the thing that I have tried to do. Because, you know, for me, I started doing podcasting because of listening to baseball on the radio with my dad when I was a kid and feeling like this is the best. This I mean, it's exactly what we were just describing, right? You're sitting um, in community with somebody you care about. You both love a thing that's being talked about on the radio. And at any moment, something surprising could happen. And you'll get to experience that surprise, delight, sadness, uh, shock, whatever it is together. And then you'll get to talk about it. And then, um, and you don't know how long it's going to last, but you do know that ultimately the game will end and you can appreciate that it's fleeting. Like, again, it's like, that's everything. And that's what made me want to start doing radio in college. And that's what made me want to start doing podcasting after I graduated from college. And I made a promise with myself that, if I ever got to do this as a job, I was going to honor, you know, little eight-year-old Sam sitting on the couch next to my dad and and make sure that everything I did came from that same sense of wonder and delight. It just like the magic of voices floating through the air talking about something we love. Because if it's not that, then... You know, it's it's what you're describing. It's all state thinking that because they have a podcast, you'll buy a a a, a package, <laughs> right? Because right. everyone everyone just loves to hear someone sit there and talk about insurance and how important it is for you to have <laughs> on your car. Everyone can relate to that. Um, yeah. Just and, before I got on, Josh, I was listening to this great podcast about my favorite grocery store. Like, what? <laughs> but it's like you you go on the podcast app, and it's like the CIA has an official podcast. It's like yeah. why. Why? That is no sense. That is insane. There are um, what's the one I saw the other day? Uh, there was uh, like uh, we're very through the looking glass when you see things. You know, like true crime podcasts are obviously very big. So yeah. then there are police forces that have podcasts about crimes that they're investigating, okay. but they obviously can't talk about active investigations because right. that would be unethical. So it's like they're, they're just trying to like wave a flag that says true crime and be like, and we're the police. So don't you want to listen to this? But they can't tell the story because it would be illegal for them to talk about the story. So it's a very warped idea. Exactly. And it's these other ones like the CIA and FBI ones where they're telling stories about old cases 
but they're not sharing all the details. They're sharing what they want you to hear and what you know. <laughs> and what, and it's it doesn't make any sense. We saw it during, you know what? We saw this during the pandemic where suddenly there were all these podcasts being made to promote mask wearing and stuff. Yeah. And it didn't matter whether you agreed or disagreed with that. What's the point of that being a podcast? And we're right. seeing a growth there. And I guess my point is to you is you have managed to become a professional podcaster. You've got a distinct voice, but you haven't been dragged into these corporate podcasts. Well, thanks, man. I'm I'm very I, I feel very fortunate about it. And you know, I, I realize it could change at any time um, because you know. I, the way podcasting's going, like these networks are going out of business every other day. But um, I think if I could, if I could chalk it up to anything, honestly, besides trying to stay true to that original ethos I was just mentioning, honestly, it has really been making connections with other people who share that same ethos. So like, just to give you an example of how I ended up working on Sports Explains the World, um, and I do want to say, you know, for all the smack talking about networks that I have been doing so far, like one of the things that has been a real joy about Sports Explains the World is that all three of the big podcasting companies that are working on that show, Wondery, Meadowlark, and Campside, they have from the beginning said like, what we care about is story. And we are going to trust the storytellers and producers and editors that we have hired and reporters that we have hired to tell the the story and and trust that that will be what carries things forward. So I have to give them big props for that. But I feel like, you know, the Sports Explains the World thing happened because Alan and I in 2013 had a guy named Mac Montandon on the show who was just recommended to us by a friend because Mac had written a piece for a publication. I can't even remember what publication it was about the time he went to an open tryout for the Orioles um, because he wanted to impress his girlfriend. <laughs> okay. I, I do remember this story. Okay. Yeah. And so we had him on and he showed up at my apartment carrying, he had a framed, uh, autographed picture of Eddie Murray and he had just brought it cause he like wanted to have it next to him while we had the conversation. And I was like, this dude is a kindred spirit. <laughs> like, this man is coming into this conversation in the same way that I come into a conversation about baseball. And that single conversation has led to a whole bunch of collaborations. Like Mac and I made the rumor together and it was because of the rumor that um, Mac got hired to work on sports explains the world. And then they were looking for a host and Mac recommended me. So like, I really feel like the fact that I'm, I'm sitting here with the privilege of having gotten to host this show has everything to do with that those very core root things that are what this medium has always been about for me. Um, and the rest of it, I, I feel like is just a very fortunate byproduct of that. Right. It's that, that's what podcasting is in its core. It's relationships with other mm -hmm. hosts and relationships with the listener. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. So let's get into sports explains the world. Um, specifically, we're going to talk about episode four. Because that's the one that that's the one you hit me up about. That's where that's first one I listened to because it's one that everyone that listens to section three thirty six I think can relate to. I know as I get yeah. older, a lot of the listeners get younger. <laughs> not remember growing up with uh, radio, but just like you, yeah, it was baseball on the radio as a kid. Mm -hmm. So, how did it become? You know what? I need to look more into baseball on the radio because you're right. There's magic there. 
Yeah. Um, To be honest with you, the origins of doing this story are so petty. Um, And they are that uh, I love listening to games on the radio for the reasons that I was talking about a few minutes ago. And also the fact that, you know, in my life now, I end up driving around a lot for stories um, and traveling a bunch. So there's a lot of times when I can't be in a stable place to sit and watch the game. Um, and so I'll stream the radio broadcast on my phone. And I love doing that. I think the, the radio team that we have now is spectacular. Um, I do sometimes find that Scott Garceau is a little behind on some of the calls. but uh, <laughs> Spectacular? Is that really the word you're going with? <laughs> well... They do a good job of rotating people around, which I think is to hide struggle so that you forget because like there's no chance to fall in love because they rotate them around. Yeah, that's that's so probably true. I don't have great things to say about the radio broadcast. The TV broadcast is fine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but we'll talk about I want to talk about that too, because TV broadcast is a different animal and way easier to do. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not going to agree with spectacular. They do talk (laughs) about the Orioles. (laughs) Fair, fair. Well, so, you know, I I think it was last year I was listening to, I was at the gym actually, and I was listening to the game on the radio. And um, folks listening to this who listen to uh, the radio on the MLB app have probably noticed that uh, I think it was a couple years ago, MLB sold the ad slots between innings and pitching changes and stuff to a company called Odyssey. So it used to be that, you know, if you listen to the Orioles broadcast, when they went to commercial, you would just hear the same commercial that was airing on local radio, even if you were not in the place where the game was taking place. Now it's not like that anymore. They actually switch streams and Odyssey, this ad company, dynamically inserts ads that they think you will be interested in hearing. So, you know, I I was a little annoyed by that just because it felt like one of the reasons I liked listening to Orioles games on the radio is because I liked hearing Baltimore ads. Like it it made me think about home, you know, but okay. I understand why they came up with this idea to, to serve local ads dynamically. But what infuriated me is that they would often let the ads run longer than the allocated break in the action. So because I guess they had some clause in the contract that the ads had to play all the way through, regardless of whether or not the game had started again. So you would have this experience of, you know, it would be the end of the top of the third inning. There would be an ad break. You'd hear these these three ads, and then you would come back from the ad break, and there would already be two outs in the bottom of the third. Right. And I was like, uh, why... This would never happen on TV. They would never allow that to happen on television. And in my mind, they were doing it because they felt like radio doesn't matter as much. And I can't prove that that's true, but I just it just got my back up. Um, and it made me want to get in touch, I suppose, with why radio really does matter. And so that was the jumping off point was this petty... <laughs> outrage i and i totally understand that because i i'm in florida now so okay get the same thing because i'm streaming all these games and they, they even the mlb app will do it a little bit with the video uh-huh. um but you're right it is irritating and i do miss hearing the sk commercials and food line and stuff that's up there yeah it's yeah a, for the broadcast 
Um, yeah. I don't, you know, there was something about like, obviously I couldn't go to Royal Farms in Brooklyn, but it was nice to, to hear, you know, real fresh, real fast. Um, <laughs> and then honestly, it would make it so that every time I did drive through. Yeah, you wanted chicken. Yeah, I would go get some fried chicken because I would be like, you know, I'd been hearing the ad all summer. Um, so, yeah, it started from this this petty so, outrage. All right, so it started from frustration. Um, and I think I, I totally get that and I side that. But I, I we've talked a lot on 336 over the years, and I'm sure you guys do as well as Baltimoreans. When you talk about your childhood and baseball, yeah, it's impossible to not talk about listening to games on the radio. Yeah. Because we all fell asleep with the radio under our pillow. Yeah. We all had the radio on out in the yard and whatever because these kids are spoiled to have your the video of the phone on, in your pocket as you're out in the yard. Oh my god. I yeah. mean, I wouldn't get if I wouldn't get anything done if I was a kid today. And, and that's, <laughs> yeah. probably why, that's probably why I get irritated at my own kids. Right. Right. That's the generation now. Uh that baseball and I I mean especially growing up in that area with WBAL broadcasting the Orioles mm-hmm. back then that broadcast strength went forever. It didn't matter if you were in the mountains of Pennsylvania, Southern yeah. New York, you were getting WBAL and you were getting the Orioles. Yeah. And whether it was Chuck Thompson or um, John Miller, whoever mm-hmm. it was, I was growing up, it was at one point in the podcast, you mentioned John Miller said uh, that they just, his goal was to be good company to you. And yeah. that's, that's what the Orioles were to me. And that's what I explained to people now living out of state when people are like, man, you're a big Orioles fan. The Orioles are part of my family and part of my life. It's it's unavoidable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, Josh, I, I agree so much. And just to go back to that anecdote that you shared about like taking a radio to bed with you. Um, I cannot tell you the number of people that have reached out since this story came out to share a memory of their parents saying like, okay, it's time to go to bed. You have to turn off the game and being like, okay, sure, I'll do that. And then taking a portable radio upstairs to bed with them. I mean, this is obviously, you know, people of our age or older generally. Um, And putting the radio under their pillow or like under the blankets and turning it on just low enough so that they could still hear this voice. And the thing that's so powerful about that voice is, sure, you want to know what's going to happen in the game. You want to know how the game ends, obviously. But the other thing is, when you're a kid at that age, so much of your life is having to do stuff that you don't want to do. You don't want to do your homework. You don't want to go out to dinner with your parents' boring friends. You don't want to, you know, play with your sibling who doesn't like the same stuff as you, whatever it is. And you don't want to have to go to bed when other people say you have to go to bed. And baseball represents everything that you dream of. Baseball represents glory. It represents connection. It represents exhilaration. And so the idea that you're told you have to go to bed, but you can take this, this radio upstairs with you and you can maintain that connection to this other world is the most precious thing. And the way that you get that connection is this broadcaster's voice is John Miller. You know, if you turned it down enough, he's literally whispering in your ear and keeping your connection to like the potential of the life you dream of alive. That is such a powerful thing. Yeah. And it would be one. And for all of us, it was 
you generally fell asleep, especially on those yeah. West Coast trips. If you even got a couple of innings in, you fell asleep. And yeah. then you wake up and it's like, well, I have to listen to the radio until they get to the sports report, maybe yeah. get the newspaper outside. Mm-hmm. But your connection was uh, John Miller or Chuck Thomas Thompson every night mm-hmm. talking me to sleep. Absolutely. And forget day games or playoff games. I, I, I mean, come on. I had a, I had a yellow and gray Sony AMF and walking men <laughs> that I fell asleep with earbuds all the time. And that was the one that went to school with me. So the earbud could go up the sleeve. So yep. <laughs> you, you got to catch those games. And it was yeah. so many people can relate to that. Yeah. That to learn more about the broadcasting through your show or through the your episode was a little mind blowing for something that's been so intimately part of my life that I haven't really dug into. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the first things I learned, so, so the, the jumping off point for me was to try to understand what is John Miller doing right. when, when he, when he talks into the microphone and you just instantly get this feeling of warmth and ease and comfort and gratitude, you just, your body is like flooded with these feelings. The second you hear his voice like, what is that? How is he doing that? That was kind of my my jumping off point. And one of the interesting things that uh, came up for me as I began my research, and, and maybe you knew this, I, I didn't know this, is that at the very beginning of baseball on the radio, the person in the booth who was broadcasting the game was essentially doing radio theater. They It was a, a guy in a radio booth, not at the ballpark, he had a, a set of props, so like it was like a like a pencil and a wood block to mimic the sound of a, a bat crack. He would have pre-recorded crowd sound effects, um, pre-recorded like umpire sounds, people shouting and stuff like that. And he would have a Western Union ticker, and there would be somebody at the ballpark sending these little codes to him. So it would say like B one zero, and that means ball one outside. And based purely on this little snippet of information this guy in the booth you know plays some crowd sound and you know mimics the sound of a ball hitting a catcher's mitt and says ball one outside and then he gives some like facts about the pitcher and stuff and he's inventing this whole scene in his head as he waits for the next little snippet of information to pop out of the ticker i mean what what that's extraordinary the idea that somebody could do that. And these guys were so popular. Uh, I spoke to Kurt Smith, a, a broadcast historian about this, who who told me all these stories. These guys were so popular that in one case, um, it actually was the guy who did the Washington Senators games. People would, instead of going to the game, they would stand outside the radio studio where he did his reenactments. They were called reenactments and just watch him. Like, like, if you imagine like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, like, you know, spinning the knob and like blowing the fog machine and like doing all that stuff. That's basically what this guy was doing. And people loved the experience of listening to him so much that they wanted to come watch him do it live. No, I that was new to me. And that I learned from from this episode. It's it's mind blowing that then. I because I can kind of see that and I can like, all right, well, he's telling a story. No one knows what really happened. But then for it to transition to real people telling you what's going on and it still has that storytelling flow. Mm -hmm. It still is like someone reading you a book to bed. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. there. There is there's a special flow about it. And 
these guys, you talked to John Miller. Um, you talked to Fred Manfra also, right? Talked to Fred Manfra. That was, no. that was particularly amazing because like he, you know, everybody kind of knows John Miller's voice because he did the ESPN games for so many years. Right. And Andy Freed, who's the other uh, guy I talked to, is the current Tampa, Rays, Tampa Bay Rays play-by-play guy. Yep. Um, you know, he's he's still working now, so like it, it's more likely that if you're somebody who listens to games on the radio, you've heard That's, his voice. But Fred, Fred is really the bridge kind of between these eras, you know, because he worked with Chuck, um, and then he did the games with John for a long time, and then he kind of handed it off to Joe Angel, um, who folks a little bit younger than us, you know, Joe was probably their entry point to listening right. to Orioles games on the radio. Um, so Fred lives in this, this interesting midpoint when, you know, by the time Andy and guys of his vintage, uh, the current vintage, uh, I mean, started doing it. Um, there's ways that broadcasting games has gotten a lot easier because, um, you know, th- they're watching the game from the press box, but they also have video monitors in the booth. And so like when it comes to things like identifying the pitch that's thrown, um, right. they, you know, yeah, they can see yeah. the the break on the curveball. But one of the things I talked about with Fred, this actually didn't even make it into the piece, is I would say like, Fred, if you, how did you know if it was a slider or a slurve? How did you know if it was, you know, like fastball changeup? Yeah. I, I could get how you could see that, but like, how did you differentiate between the pitches? And he goes, he goes, you know, you just kind of say what you thought it was. <laughs> I mean, and that's, that's when you talk to both these guys, what comes across in all, well, all three of them is, well, you just, you're just describing what you're seeing and, and yeah. they make it sound so simple, but we all know there's magic there. Yes. And it's as good as the athlete who it's like, any of us can go out and hit a baseball, but it takes us someone, but then you go and go to the majors and then you're like, Oh, well no one can hit a baseball. These few people can hit baseballs. And it's the same thing with this broadcast crew. Yeah. yeah. You, and I, you and I do podcasts play by play. Totally maybe, different. Maybe I could cut it on TV because TV is a lot easier. You don't have to describe everything. Right. Radio, there's no way people would get mad because I can't tell the story of what I'm watching. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, you hear about this in the in the piece as well. But Alan and I on Baltimoreans actually tried a few times to do live play by play broadcasts. Yep. And the thing that we discovered instantly is because we came up as podcasters. They're, you know, the stock and trade of podcasting is commentary. You're trying to be clever. You're trying to be witty. You're trying to be engaging. You're, you're not describing the thing. You're talking about the thing that already exists by and large in, you know, in, in talk-based podcasting, uh, you know, like narrative documentaries, a little bit different. Um, but that skill doesn't translate to baseball on the radio. I mean, maybe it does if you're if you're the doing co- guy. yeah, if yeah, you're ben McDonald, maybe exactly, exactly. But you notice they never really let Ben McDonald do play by play. No, no, even when uh, even when things got slim there a few weeks ago, he, he did not <laughs> right. He was not the guy. Even then, even then, and so like you know, one of the the moments in the piece is I remember listening to the radio one day, and it was Joe Angel and Ben McDonald. This is I want to say 2014, 2015, and there's a fastball that gets blown by some batter, 
And Ben McDonald in his like beautiful Louisiana drawl comes in and he says like, well, that pitch reminds me of uh, Linda Ronstadt, you know, just right. blew by you. And I mean, it's a great line. Shouts to Ben McDonald. But it the the lie of that was that I heard that and thought, oh, the skill is similar. It's can you make a pun? It's can you riff? It's can you, um, you know, try to be clever and ironic uh, and have a little bit of distance from what's actually happening? And Alan and I try to do that in our broadcasts. It fails miserably. Um, and ultimately, and I, 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 you know, not to be dramatic, but I, I find this quite profound. What the true skill of broadcasting is, is not taking distance from the game. It's letting yourself be incredibly close to it. It's letting yourself play, pay incredibly close attention and just describing what you see and letting that be enough. And letting something be enough, especially in our modern frenetic um, algorithmic culture, nothing is enough. And the idea that these guys... And increasingly women, too, which is great. Um, side note, I did uh, email Melanie Newman, I think, seven times to try to get her to be part of the project and didn't work out. But um, like well, that, that goes back to that spectacular. <laughs> yeah, you don't like Melanie's dad jokes. I like Melanie's dad jokes. I, like, um, I, I do like Jeff Arnold on the radio right now. I will say that. Yes. It's nice to see a friend succeed and move up there. Um, mm -hmm. And I like Jeff Arnold there. Mm -hmm, I'm not mm -hmm. so crazy about the rest of the team on the radio. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. But but you know what I mean? Like to to have the ability to take yourself uh, and your own desire to um, you know put your put your signature on what's happening, but instead surrender to the idea that you are just a vessel for what's happening. Your voice has to become the game for that person who is doing the modern day equivalent of putting the radio under their pillow. Um, that is a really, I'll say it like sacred responsibility and it has nothing to do with cleverness. It has nothing to do with, uh, I mean, cleverness helps, but what it really has to do with is like being a servant, like being a servant of the moment and surrendering to a, a higher calling. Yeah, and it's again, it's it's different on the radio because on the radio it is. We saw this trend in the '90s, and now it's all what they do on TV. Mm -hmm. And I, I really think it started back with uh, Twenty One Thirty One when mm. TV broadcasts. Chris Berman, who's a joke to sports broadcasters now, Chris yeah. Berman was the biggest thing. He got that call, yeah. And when Cal did his lap, he shut up. Yeah, and he let the he let the crowd noise tell the story, and he could get away with that because it was TV. And yeah. since then we saw the transition in TV broadcasters to more commentary and let the story tell itself. And you yeah. see it in baseball and you see it in football where they're letting the pictures tell the story. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. The radio, and, the, and it's probably a corporate decision where the radio has tried to do that same thing. Yeah. Where they, mm -hmm. And it's like you were saying, radio is not as important. So they're trying to let go cheaper with mm -hmm. talent, younger guys and trying to paint this picture with the crowd noise and it doesn't do it. You need yeah. the crowd noise, mm -hmm. but you need someone to tell me what that pitch did. Exactly. We've seen the crowd. The crowd cheers loud at every fly ball, whether yeah. it's a home run or not. 
mm-hmm. someone's got to paint this picture and yeah. take themselves out of it at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree completely. And uh, an, an anecdote that Andy Freed told me during our interview uh, is something that Vin Scully either said in an interview or told Andy directly. I can't remember which it is, but that uh, Vin, who's obviously, you know, the greatest radio broadcaster of all time, probably, um, he said once of the crowd noise um it is it is the chorus that accompanies your lead singing so you know like uh the the broadcaster's voice is meant to like ride on the crest of the swelling and receding and pops of energy of the crowd, but they work in harmony with each other. It's, 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 you can't let one or the other dominate. It's that the two have to be exist in this dance with each other, which I think is why we, and we talk about this a lot in the piece, like why we think of a lot of these broadcasters as having a music to their voice. I mean, you know, like any of us could probably, you know, whether it's uh, like we just we're joking about with Ben McDonald, who, you know, I think we can agree is maybe not the best radio presence of all time. Oh, but we, we, we love him on TV and we love the commentary side. Yes. And we can all kind of mimic the music of his voice, yeah. because on some level he does when he's doing radio, he understands that thing of like, I just blew by you, you know, like the he has developed a music because he understands that the I can't believe I'm using Ben McDonald as an example of a great broadcaster right now. But, uh, but he understands this idea that the the broadcaster's voice and the crowd have to kind of um, exist in this give and take a little bit. Um, and that is a really, it's, it's a very, very delicate art. Um, and there's, <coughs> excuse me, there's even in the piece, you can hear, uh, a moment of archival tape where Chuck Thompson, who, you know, uh, Vin, uh, Baltimore's Vin Scully, uh, is doing, uh, a game where the crowd is like absolutely losing their minds after the Doug DeCince home run in, uh, I think it was 1979. And he has told us what happened on with the home run. And he says, and now the crowd is shouting, we want Doug, we want Doug. And now Doug is stepping out of the dugout and he takes off his helmet and then he stops. And then you hear the crowd come rushing in to fill that gap and they go totally nuts as DeSensei tips his cap. That to me is an example of that perfect give and take. Like he's showing you the part of it you can't see and that you're not a part of. And then when the crowd comes rushing in at full volume, he lets that sonically overtake you and you get to feel like you're there. And it's just, I mean, there's a real magic to it. No, it is. And it is. It's a symphony is a great example because it's also timing mm-hmm. where you he has to make that call mm-hmm. for that home run at the while the ball is still in the air and going out. Yeah. And play with the crowd noise mm-hmm. because the crowd is getting louder the further that ball goes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not make me at home thinking that's a home run. Yeah. You need mm-hmm. to build it up. And it's almost like when you hear the perfect home run call, I mean, it seems like now balls, they hit it and it's gone instantly. But yeah. a really great home run call, you hear that in the voice, the going, going, gone. Yes, yes. The voice mimics like the trajectory of the ball on the rise yeah. as it's like approaching the wall. 
it, it, yes, their their they are their voice becomes like the physical reality of the entire experience. Um, I don't know if you have noticed this in your radio listening, but one of the things that bums me out, and I don't even know if you know this, maybe isn't even this is probably a corporate decision as you alluded to, but at, I think it's this year because I didn't don't remember hearing it before that they have installed a microphone right behind home plate. Yeah, and you hear like one or two random fans have a conversation. Yes, you hear one or two random fans having like some asinine conversation. But the other thing that happens is you hear the umpire make the call or not make the call, the ball and strike right. call. And you also hear the crack of the bat and the crowd start to react. And what happens then is that you hear the broadcaster waiting to see what happens. And there's this horrible pinch of tension on every single pitch where you're like, I know something's happening, but right. I can't see it. Why aren't they telling me what's happening? And I would rather just not have the microphone there. Well, I would rather just rely on the voice. No, I agree with you. And I think it goes back to trying to mimic TV mm -hmm. because there's people that don't value radio. Yes. And I mean, let's just talk about it. You think the Angelos family values radio. <laughs> No, Josh, we have proof of that by dint of the fact that for big parts of, uh, I think, the 21 season and maybe into 22, they weren't even sending the radio team on the road trips. Yes. Claiming it was for health reasons when literally every other broadcast team had gone back. Like, give me a break. Well, and we've got proof of what they think of broadcasters through years of letting John Miller go. Exactly. And exactly. the kerfuffle with... Uh, Kevin Brown a month yeah. ago. Totally. They think they think that the broadcasters mean such little that we will not notice Kevin Brown being gone for a week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's exactly you're exactly right. They they're and and it, it also goes back to your point about rotating different people through the uh, through the uh through the broadcast position yeah. over the course of the season. That implicitly says to the listener that what this person is doing, your relationship with this person doesn't matter. We just need a warm body in the chair. And that denies uh, like that. They're, they're purely serving a function and that denies the skill that somebody like a Miller or a Manfra has in forging this relationship that you crave and and in delivering an experience that is different than being at the game and is different than watching it on TV. And you're exactly right. You know, like they're trying to make it as much like a TV broadcast as they can instead of acknowledging like it isn't and it will never be. And that is actually what we love about it. <laughs> well, and if you look at, yeah, exactly. And look at, I, I just pulled up to take a look to confirm what I was thinking, but I am 43 years old. Uh, it, my entire life, it was John Miller, Chuck Thomas, Jim Hunter, Joe Angel. Yep. Mm -hmm. Then the past three years, it's been Kevin Brown, uh, Jeff Arnold, Melanie Newman, Brett Hollander, Scott Garso. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. no flow there. There's no, yep. how do I go to, how do I go to sleep with the radio under my pillow? And it'd be a different voice every night. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'm sure you've had this experience. Like, you know, I, I have this little ritual for myself during the season. Like I go to the gym on Sundays, I get on the treadmill and I wait to go to the gym so that I can listen to the game on the treadmill while I run. And every Sunday when I turn it on, I'm like, who's it going to be today? <laughs> and, you know, I will admit like when it, when I hear that it's Scott Garceau, I'm like, ugh. you know, and I have tons of respect for the fact that Garceau has been doing this for a long time, but like, the dude has lost a step. <laughs> yeah, no, it, and it goes back to your other point. I love Scott Carso as a sports talk show host. Right. Mm-hmm. Not as a play-by-play guy. Um, like you, I grew up without HTS because you had to pay extra for home team sports. Exactly. So mm-hmm. We didn't. We had this TV where you could press and hold the buttons and the, the <laughs> it would somehow give me like a black and white partially <laughs> game and we'd watch that but it was with the radio broadcast yes and again that's where technology stands today it's really hard to do that it's really Mm -hmm. hard to do the radio and the tv together it just Mm -hmm. doesn't line up like it used to yeah yeah i mean i have tried to do that's another thing that i've gotten so many emails about since this piece came out and it makes me so happy because you know for people who grew up like you and i did uh if you weren't at the game, the idea that you could see what happening was like a bonus. The radio was like the the primary source for the story if you weren't physically at the game. And we used to do that same thing where like if we happened, if it happened to be a night where we could see the game on TV for some reason, we turned the volume down and we had the radio going next to it because like it didn't feel like we were really experiencing the game unless John Miller and Fred Manford were telling us about it. And I have in my adult life recently tried to replicate that experience and you actually can't do it because they purposely delay the radio signal. Yes. So that it's it's sometimes up to like two full minutes behind what's actually happening so that they can accommodate the advertising. Right. And that's what I was going to ask you is what's with these delays if it's advertising? Because it's it's also like the MLB app versus watching on Madison. and they're delayed. And the mm-hmm. Madison app is delayed even later than that app. And there's all these delays. So you can't have that that come together. Everyone's watching this moment at the same time. And I think of when I go when I go to ball games, I still occasionally see the older person who has the radio on, yeah. has, has the headphones because they like to listen to the radio while watching the game. Yeah. And I feel like I would have a stroke trying to do that at the game today <laughs> because I'm seeing something with my eyes and then I hear it 30 seconds later. Yeah, it would be intensely confusing. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know how these people do it. I want to ask one of them, but I don't yeah. think it would translate. Like I, it's so confusing to me and it's again where radio has taken a back seat mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not accepted as this amazing part of baseball that try to listen into a football game on, on the radio. It's never worked. Yeah. It's chaos. It's chaos. You cannot, you cannot baseball's magical on the radio. It's incredible. And, and, you know, just to, just to share a little, this didn't make it into the piece, but I I know you will appreciate this. And I, I think it is reflective of the amount of care that, you know, cause we're talking about how, you know, people like the Angelos family or, and I'm sure ownership groups of all the other franchises too, don't uh, treat the radio broadcast with nearly the same amount of care as they treat the TV broadcast. If it can be argued that they're treating the TV broadcast with care. Um, the inverse of that is true 
when it comes to a truly amazing radio broadcaster like a John Miller. This is a story that Andy Freed told me, and I just think it is the most moving thing. When Andy Freed was coming up, and he grew up in Baltimore as an Orioles fan, and John Miller was, he, he just admired John Miller so much because John Miller was calling the games on the radio, and as we all know, he's maybe one of the best there has ever been at at doing this. So Andy gets, you know, he's been practicing broadcasting, as you can hear in the piece, like we have archival recordings of him practicing broadcast when he's 12 years old in his bedroom. I Um, love that. That was awesome to hear on the podcast. It was, I couldn't, he was so, it was very generous of him to share those. Um, And so he's been doing it since he's a little kid. He goes to college, studies radio broadcasting, spends all his time at the radio station. And then finally, he gets himself into a position where um, there's like an internship or apprenticeship program. And he gets to go to, I can't remember if it was Memorial Stadium or Oriole Park. I think it was Memorial Stadium. And uh, sit in the press box and just kind of like take it all in. And so John Miller says to him, while you're there, bring your tape recorder and just practice doing a broadcast while you're watching the game. And after the game is over, I will come down and listen to the recording and critique it with you. So this is after John Miller has spent an entire day preparing for the broadcast, has just broadcast, you know, in that era, probably a three and a half hour baseball game. And he comes down and he sits with Andy until, you know, one o'clock in the morning, listening through to the recording Andy has just made of the broadcast he did, stopping it and starting it and saying, like, I was really great right there. The way you set the infield, I could really see it in my mind. See, in that moment, I think you got too hung up on, like, talking about, you know, the outfielder's stats and you didn't, you know, talk about the fact that the third baseman was sneaking in because he was anticipating the bunt. Like, he sits there for hours with him and does this because he knows how important it is to the fans for Andy to get as good as John is. Um, And like, there's just so much love and reverence that goes into that. And um, I just think it's really profound and, and such a shame that it's not being supported in the way that it used to be. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, it's no surprise that that radio's taken a back seat. I think it's also part of the uh, in-houseness of reporting that now mm-hmm. the Orioles own the radio broadcast, the TV broadcast, the print, everything, which means there's no competition. There's no reason to, to do it better. Yeah, uh, when you control it that way. But right. it, but your story really just all that tells it. Yes, it tells you about. John Miller really cares about this and wants it to get better. But it tells you how much of an amazing person John Miller is as yeah. a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Like that for no reason except yeah. that to be nice. Right. Exactly. And because, I mean, I think he understand. you know, he, he says in the piece, you know, Andy says in the piece that he got the phrase good company from John. John says he he didn't make it up. But I do get the sense that the idea of being good company is at the very core of John as a person. Um, And I, you know, for him, it goes back to the fact that he, uh, and and this is me speculating about this. This is not something that he said, 
Um, but something that was really interesting to me in talking to John and talking to Fred and in talking to Andy is that when they were kids and they wanted to uh, talk about baseball all the time, wanted to practice broadcasting baseball in their families, they didn't necessarily have anybody else who wanted to do that with them. So they just did it by themselves. And that's part of how they became so good at it. And so the idea, so baseball was their companionship. And I think it is telling that coming up that way, they appreciated the idea that for some people, the idea that you could have a buddy to listen to the game with is an insanely valuable thing. And the idea that that, that is good company is like, I see you, I know how important this is to you, I'm going to get it right. I'm not going to miss anything that happens because I know that this is your salvation right now. I know that this is your your safety right now. I know that this is, this. you're craving this for whatever reason right now. Um, and again, that you know, th- none of them expressed to me any idea that they had like resentment towards people in their family or something. I'm not trying to suggest anything like that, but but I do think you can hear that value in, in the way they do what they do. Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, episode four, you've got to call it, it's titled good company because that is a perfect description for this. I was one of the, while listening to it, I wrote down the two quotes, I wrote down good company and then I wrote down swing hard in case you hit it. Yes. I think that's such a great quote. Um, I, I shared with you, I put it on a shirt for over at Birdland sports because I think it's a great quote. And I found myself yelling at I coach I coach nine or ten U little league now. Oh cool. And I found myself on Saturday yelling that at the kids <laughs> while they were at just swing hard. You might hit it. Like just in case you hit it, swing hard. And yeah. I'm like, now it's ingrained in me. And it's such a great quote to come out of this for basically forget baseball. It's about everything in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and thank you so much for for doing the shirts. I think that's so cool. I I ordered a bunch of them today to send to all the people who worked on the show. <laughs> um, cause like, you know, I said, I say this to John in the piece and it, it kind of throws him for a loop a little bit, honestly. Um, like he just said that because he was trying to describe what's going through the mind of, you know, I, I was, right. yeah, exactly. A pitcher who has to hit. Um, back when that was a thing that happened. And um, that's just him trying to like express the reality of uh, of that moment of the game, trying to get inside the player's head. And yet it is a, like, it is, I mean, those are words to live by, as you said, like, and it's just something that came to him in the moment and that he did as part of describing what was happening. And, you know, now we all have this motto that applies to everything else in our lives. Like, what an incredible role for a person to play in our consciousness. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And uh, all right, so this is episode four of Sports Explains the World. How long did it take you? How long were you working on this? Because you were traveling. You were up in Cooperstown. You were down in Tampa. Mm-hmm. You were uh, with John Miller, with Fred Manfred. You were traveling all around to do this. How, how long were you working on this episode? I all told, I would say it took me about 10 months. Um and to be honest, you know, uh, doing the interviews was a big part, you know, booking the interviews was an adventure because, you know, these are not super right. easy guys to get in touch with. Um, but the really the thing that took the longest on honestly was the writing um, was wanting to make sure that I was uh, 
capturing not just the facts of of what I learned, but the um, the reason, in my opinion, that it all matters so much. And so I got to work with Mac, who I mentioned earlier, which was a, a huge blessing. Um, and we went through, you know, 11 or 12 drafts of the script um, to, to really hopefully find what, um, what it was, what it was really about, which I think is this attempt to understand at a deep level, what good company really means. Yeah. And, and not to mention your interviewing these guys that you spent your childhood with. You really didn't want to embarrass yourself coming across. Yes. Uh, yes. I still managed to in a number of <laughs> scenarios, but <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget. I, uh, we had Jim Palmer on the podcast once. Oh and my God. Jim Palmer. I mean, it's yeah. a great, we're having this great conversation. And then just to wrap up, I asked him about the underwear ads <laughs> and everything nosedived at that point. Oh no. It was like, I thought it, he would have a fun response, but it was like the, like just shut down the interview type response. <laughs> and so I'll never forget like having a, a guy like that. And it's like, I need this and to be comfortable and to have this and have fun with this. Right. And if you're not on the same level as this guy, so you definitely <laughs> had to go in showing reverence and respect to what these guys have been spent their life doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think all you can do really is, I mean, I applaud you for bringing that up. I would have, I would have done the same thing um, because what can you do? You know, I mean, it's this interesting tension that comes up in a moment like that. And I think is a difference between, you know, the, the work that we do, Josh, is like, it's actually very interesting, I think, like, um, because if you think of yourself purely as a journalist, which I don't know about you, but I do not think of myself as a journalist, um, you have kind of a an agreed upon end point for yourself of like, I am just here to report facts. I'm yes. not here to like make my personal relationship with this person part of the dynamic or the interaction. But when you are let's call it a storyteller and somebody who understands that like your own reverence for the subject matter is part of the story, then there is actually a responsibility on you to not pretend that's not the case <laughs> when right. you, to, when you're talking to somebody like Jim Palmer or somebody like John Miller. And so as you hear in the podcast, that there's a part where I say to him, like, one night, you know, I'm up late listening to the radio. You say this thing, swing hard in case you hit it. John, those are words to live by. And his response is like, well, uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. Exactly. And, it, and I'll tell you, it's, I'll take the occasional press pass from the Orioles or uh -huh. the jumbo shrimp down here. I'll take press passes or spring training. I'll get the press pass. I have once stepped into the press box mm -hmm. because I do not belong there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a different way of, of handling the game where I'll take the pass that lets me wander around and walk around mm -hmm. and check out the other stuff. Mm -hmm. But I am not a broadcaster. I know I'm not a broadcaster. I have once tried to hold my phone into the scrum of reporters at interviewing a player at the end of the game uh -huh. and realized that's inappropriate. That's not where I am as a podcaster. <laughs> right, right. That's not where podcasters, podcasters have their place, yes. but it's not the broadcast. 
Yes, and it's an important place, you know. I mean, like the the there is a good company element to um and you know, like it's funny that we're talking about this. In like in two minutes, I'm supposed to talk to um our friends at the Bird's Eye View uh podcast. Oh well they can wait. And <laughs> and this is something that um I have talked about with both of those guys before is this idea of, you know when you're fortunate as all of us are to have a podcast that has some listeners um you end up in these situations where you're like oh i'm here with the beat reporters like mm-hmm. look at me and you instantly are reminded like i have a skill and it is building community around uh you know fan conversation and interaction and that's no minor thing but it is not the same skill that the beat reporters have. no no it's definitely different it's more of <laughs> I enjoy that when I go to these ball games, people recognize me. Yeah. Now, a lot of times it's by my voice, but yeah. they recognize me. And uh, taking my 10 year old stepson to a bunch of Oriole games at the beginning of this season for the first time and him experiencing that, suddenly thinking I'm a celebrity back in Baltimore is fun. <laughs> yeah. I, don't wanna, I am, do not belong in the broadcast booth. It's a different spot, a different role. Yeah. Uh, are you working on some other episodes? Yes. What's, what else is coming out? Because I want people to subscribe to this, not just listen to one episode and go away. Well, thank you. you. Thank you. I have the I have the privilege of being the host of the full series, which is 45 episodes. Um, Good Company is uh, the only one where I'm I'm telling the story throughout the entire episode. And the other episodes, uh, I come in at the beginning and introduce the listener to the story and then hand it off to a reporter who did something like I did on Good Company, who pursued a story, um, that was meaningful to them. And, uh, the stories on this show, you know, I have to give huge props to Meadowlark, who's the main producing organization. They found some amazing stories. Just today, we came out with the first part of what's going to be a two-part series about this guy named Jay Mullen, who was, um, a kind of radical uh, professor in the seventies who got fired for having a beard because his university thought it made him a communist um, and ends up getting recruited by the CIA to go uh, cultivate Russian assets during the Cold War and ends up um, coaching the Ugandan national basketball team, which means he has to kind of cozy up with Idi Amin. And it's just an absolutely bonkers story. Um, So and that's the kind of thing you're going to hear every week uh, on the show. And it, there will be new episodes every Wednesday uh, from now to the end of next year. <laughs> and I think I love the title Sports Explains the World because it it tells you this is genuine. This, yeah. is, this is like we talked at the beginning about the Orioles. It's more than a baseball team to these people, to these people. Exactly. Exactly. It's very, you know, just like we're talking about is is core to being good company as a broadcaster, like this is a very earnest show. It's not that kind of sports programming that's like, hey, like stupid, like air horn, like, you know, whatever. It's it's very not uh, sports talk radio of the kind somebody might think when they see it's a sports podcast. Like this is earnest, um, really thoughtful storytelling about um, the, the parts of sports that are really just the parts of life. That's awesome. All right. Well, Sam, I know you got to go uh, go with Jake and Scott and, and, and do their thing over there. But uh, thanks for hanging out with me for an hour and, and sharing about this. I want everyone to go check out Sports Explains the World, uh, specifically episode four right now, but subscribe and then they're just all there. You can listen to all the episodes as everyone listening to 336 knows. It's a podcast. It's how it works. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and while you're also in that podcast app, add Baltimoreans because it's a great another play to listen to Orioles, but also 
from a completely different angle than I think everyone else is doing. So. Thanks, man. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I as I feel like no Orioles fans week is complete without listening to the full rotation of, of Orioles fan podcasts. You got to get your Baltimore ons, your 336, your bird's eye view, uh, your Camden chat. You really got to you really got to do the circuit. Um, thank yeah. you so much for having me, Josh. It's a pleasure. Of course. All right. Thank you. Have you heard the birds, the word section 336, the next generation of Baltimore sports talk.